Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hello and welcome to another FT Management Podcast. My name is Adam Jones. Today I'm talking to Dave Wilson, the Chief Executive of GMAC, the not-for-profit body responsible for the GMAT Business School Admissions Test. Now, Dave, let's start with the basics. How many people take the test each year, roughly, and where do they tend to be located? Well, Adam, typically in a year, we'll test a total of 240 to 250,000 times. But amongst that, we'll have anywhere from twenty-five to 35,000 who may be retaking the test to improve their scores. So we'll probably have 210 to 220,000 unique test takers each year. As to where they take it, they take it all over the world. We test in 100 countries at more than 400 sites. And typically our test sites uh, test year-round. Uh, five days a week uh, in any part of the world you happen to be. Test scores go up to a maximum of 800. What is the average? The the ma- maximum score is 800. The minim- minimum score is 200. And the mean, the average, is about 530. And it has been 530, give or take uh, three or four points, for the last um, oh, 12 years. And, and what is the ideal amount of preparation time for the GMAT test? Well, that's a good question because very clearly preparation makes a difference. When we did some surveys of test candidates, to understand this is self-reported, we did the surveys of candidates. We found that typically if you start preparing anywhere from seven to ten weeks out, you sort of stabilize in terms of maximizing the benefit. Again, in terms of the amount of time you put in, if you put in between 100 and 120 hours, you'll find that you have the best chance of performing well. Preparation is really important, and it's preparing in a timely way so that, like a conditioning program for an athlete, you peak just before the race. And is it a bad idea to take the test multiple times? Uh, Am I right in thinking that schools can see every score that you've recorded and not just your best one? Schools do, in fact, see every score. That said, schools also focus on the best score because they realize that some candidates take it without as much preparation as they'd like to have taken or that after taking it the first time they found they didn't put their preparation in the areas they really needed to put more or they simply had a bad day. I mean, everyone has a bad day every now and then and schools are well aware of that. And so they look to the highest score. And so it doesn't sort of work against you if you've got maybe six, seven, eight attempts under your belt before you actually get a a presentable score. No, and what's interesting, Adam, is that there are a number of of individuals who believe that one of the best ways to prepare is just to take the test multiple times. It's like preparing for the Olympics by running in every possible race in advance. One thing I have um, heard is that um, there really is a huge difference between uh, simulating the test on paper and then actually doing it in its uh, proper computer-adaptive format because, I mean, there is a, a, a... a serious difference between you know the the linear experience you have on paper and then suddenly the the test difficulty ramping up if you're doing well it it's very different uh the the computer adaptive test which is the format that we've uh we adopted in 1997 uh is far and away the most reliable and gives the best measure it's also the most secure uh 
But you're right. It is a, a very different testing experience to the conventional linear test where you can go back and change a question or change an answer to a question if you wish uh, later on, where you can see the entire array of questions you might be asked and skim through the easy ones to warm up and then go back to the more difficult ones or what you think are the more difficult. In the adaptive one, as you just pointed out, when you get a question right, you're moved into a random selection from a pool of more difficult questions. And so that is a different kind of a testing experience. But it's not unlike the doctor's scale when you go for your annual physical. You get on the scale and you move the big weight at the bottom, um, whether it's in kilos or, or pounds, up and down and you get that roughly right, and then you move the smaller weight until it settles on, uh, on your precise weight. That's roughly what the computer adaptive test is like. And is it a common mistake, therefore, to spend too long on an individual question thinking that, well, you, you've really got to um, put the time in to get this particular one right, and then the test kind of runs away with you? Well, it's important to, to manage your time just as it is in almost every business experience that you're going to hope to get when you graduate. It's imperative that you manage your time carefully. There is no wisdom in, in taking all the time you need to answer the first 15 questions and then guessing at the rest. Uh, we have research that will show very clearly that if you do that, your score will go tailing right down as you start guessing at the end. And so you're, you are better to manage your time carefully. And you can do that. You can you can determine how many questions you're going to be asked and how much time you have to answer them. Now, you are in the process of rolling out palm scanners that will be used to verify the identity of people taking the GMAT test. How will they work? Well, the palm vein reader is, is new technology. It's more reliable and less invasive than the, the digital uh, fingerprint that we've been using in the past. Uh, for the last three years, we've been using a digital fingerprint. We now use a palm vein, which doesn't require you to put your palm on anything, but simply above a scanner, which captures the scan of your palm. And what I didn't realize is that your palm vein is as unique as your fingerprint. It also is a much more reliable and secure kind of a, uh, a read than the fingerprint. Fingerprints can be smudged. Your fingers can be oily or greasy and leave something behind that even when you clean it, clean the surface of the reader, doesn't give you a clean image the next time. There are a number of people who may have uh, damaged their fingerprints just with work over the years with manual labor. This palm vein simply allows you to hold your, your palm over the scanner and it captures the image. That then becomes a part of your permanent record. And, and when are you rolling this out to your testing centers? And I must uh, point out at this point that um, the FT's, one of the FT's sister companies actually conducts um, the GMAT tests uh, for GMAC. Right. We will be rolling the technology out beginning this fall in Korea and India. And we've chosen those two countries because we have a large population of test takers in a limited number of sites and multiply structured sites so that we can get a good, quick read and debugging, if necessary, on the use of the technology at the front end. And then by May 2009, we'll have this technology around the world. 
Now, um, there, there's clear logic to having a standardised admissions test for something as global as an MBA, and the number of the peop- number of people taking the GMAT outside the US is, is indeed booming. But it seems to me that um, native speakers of English have an advantage over non-native English speakers when they take the GMAT. I mean, what extra things can non-native speakers of English do to prepare themselves better for the test? Well, I think your your assessment is probably accurate. But what we have found as we test the candidates, that the exam does a very, very good job of predicting the ability of the non-English speaking candidate to perform in the classroom. Now, not necessarily in the interaction within the class, but in the in the written materials, because the GMAT itself does not capture uh, the spoken word. In terms of preparation, one of the most important things is to make sure you can understand read and write the language because there there are two parts that are critical on the GMAT. The first is the part that's on the exam itself within the verbal section and the critical reasoning and the understanding um, and the reading comprehension. But then there's also the analytical writing assessment, the AWA, in which you're asked to write two separate essays. And that is actually the creation of your own response to a prompt to a question, the analysis of an issue or the analysis of an argument. And so for anyone who struggles to express themselves in English, this is a marvelous place to prepare. At $250, I mean, the GMAT test is quite expensive for those people living in poorer countries. What can you do to make it more affordable for these people? There are multiple ways. The $250 is the same price that the GMAT has been for four years and it's not likely to change in the immediate future. Um, We do have a number of different programs uh, to provide support to candidates uh, through vouchers, uh, which which are clearly designed to focus on those for whom the test is a barrier. One of the issues that has to be confronted as you think about this, though, Adam, is that the cost of an MBA is very, very much more than the $250. And so if the $250 is a barrier then how is the candidate going to be able to afford the MBA? And so we, we need to be a bit cautious that we don't create um, a, a false um, expectation that because you're able to get the the uh, the GMAT through a voucher that you'll be able to go on and get an MBA because you'll then need to find the support to complete your studies. This is the end of the first part of the FT Management Podcast with Dave Wilson of GMAC. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, What's a mistake they made that changed their approach? And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.